uh, good to be back with you guys. Uh, I say back because I've preached here, taught here a couple times before, but it was like way back in the olden days when you had one service. So uh, this is this is new and different to have uh, the the two services. Is it going okay? It seems it seems you know the vibe is good. Just give you that feedback. Uh, so, uh, but but great to be with you. And I want to thank Brad. I know he's not literally sitting here, but he texted me right before the service and said, "I'm going. I'm going to be listening." He's going to listen to the tape. So I'm going to like speak as if he's sitting here. Uh, and uh, I wanted to thank him for inviting me to teach on this Sunday because this is the best Sunday of the year for preachers. And you know why? Extra hour of sleep. I mean, it, it, it is the best. So for a guy to give that up, I mean, even with the new baby, to give up this Sunday uh, uh, is, is awesome. I should say, too, I, I want to be careful. Last year, uh, the, the current pastor of my former church, where I served for a bunch of years, he invited me to preach on this Sunday in the fall. And I said what I just said, you know, as if Brad were sitting here. And, uh, you know, I said, this is the greatest Sunday, Jeff, thank you so much, and to give up this Sunday, that's great. Well, a few months later, he invited me to preach in the spring, and I, I didn't catch it, but he invited me on the worst Sunday of, of the year. So, Brad, if you're listening to this, I, I decline all offers uh, uh, in the spring, but it's great to be with you. We do celebrate with the Thayer family. Uh, just, uh, just really, really happy for them. We continue uh, this morning in your sermon series on Romans. Uh, today, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. I'm just going to read it for you. If you have your Bibles, you open them. If not, or, you know, on your phone, feel free to follow along. If not, just, you know, just listen. Uh, that, that's totally great. Um, but let, let me say this, if you haven't noticed already in this sermon series, man, Romans is thick. It is theologically dense, uh, you know, not in the sense of unintelligent, but just there is so much in there, and it can be challenging uh, to sort of grapple with kind of where Paul's headed. In fact, I, I always like it in Second Peter chapter 3, Peter, I don't know if you know this, Peter says about Paul, calls him the, his beloved brother, Peter speaking about Paul. But he says, you know, some of his writings are difficult to understand. So in Scripture, Scripture itself says about Scripture, some, some of this is, if, is tough to understand. And I thought, too, of that great scene in uh, Acts chapter 26, Paul is before Paul's been arrested, and he's before Festus, and he's been given the chance to speak, and so he speaks, and he, he's basically trying to evangelize Festus, and uh, Festus says to him, Paul, I think your great learning has driven you mad, and, and we have in Paul a kind, of, a kind of genius intellect, I would say, 
plus he was a Pharisee. So he had kind of Harvard Law School of, of the day in the religious world. So his mind is fertile uh, and it's great stuff. I mean, Romans is, is, holds an incredible place in the history of the church. But I guess uh, as an encouragement to us all, I would acknowledge that, that it, it's sort of thick material. But I'll, I'll try to get us through it, at least these few verses. Here's a tip as, before I read the text. Paul is working with the significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus for our lives today. Let me just say that again. Paul's working with the significance of something that happened roughly 2,000 years ago, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. The significance of what happened back then for our experience today. And a couple of themes Paul will, will work with are identification, both in the sense of finding our identity in this Christ event and also identifying with that event and transformation. They kind of go together as we are identified with Christ in his death and resurrection, our lives are transformed. So I just prime the, prime the pump um, a little bit there. Identity, transformation, based on life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. This event that is 2,000 years in the past, yet spiritually, Paul would argue, it is of tremendous significance and import for us sitting here today. Okay, having, having said all that, let me read Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Earlier in chapter 5, Paul has said, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So if you've been going through Romans, you know Paul asks these rhetorical questions, and then he, and then he answers himself. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him, In a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ... We believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. 
but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's join our hearts in prayer. And so, Lord, we uh, pray your blessing upon us now. Uh, Bless to our understanding this reading of your word. May it encourage us, challenge us, transform us, and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I am a total sucker for before and after ads. Often with the photograph, you know, the before photograph and the after photograph. And I'm going to just speak from my perspective as a guy because it's the guy ads I, I look at and get hooked by this before and after thing. So the before uh, photograph will have the ambiance of kind of a, a mug shot and terrible lighting and uh, no makeup, hair must, terrible, terribly fitting clothing, depressed looking individual. Uh, that will be b- before. Then the after, ostensibly the same guy, but now he looks like an Olympic pole vaulter. I mean, he looks great, and his clothes are stylish, and his hair is, is cut, and he's get, probably got some makeup on. I mean, he looks awesome, and it's this sense of before and after, and then what's in the middle is whatever product is being sold, Right? Uh, the supplement, the, uh, the uh, diet program, nutrition, uh, the exercise program. And it, for me at least, I don't, know, I don't know about other people, but for me at least, there's something that just gets my attention. The, the before guy, boy, what, a, you know, does not look good. Use product X. The after, the second photo, dude looks awesome. And there's something in me that says, yeah, I, who, who wouldn't want that? It, it, it hooks me. I want the program, the product, the, the hack that will transform me. Now track with me here. And I'm going to make the assumption that at least a few of you share this what I've just described there, okay? If no, none of you do, you can like check your phones or something for a few minutes because I'm going to base my comments on this. Why does this kind of advertising, this self-help thing, etc., the before-after thing, why does it work so effectively? And I would suggest it's because at the core of our being, we know we're, we are in need of transformation, 
deep down inside, maybe even at a, I'd say often at a subconscious level, we know that we need something deep down inside to grab some New Testament images. We know we're that prodigal who's wandered off. We know that we are the woman with the 12 years of flow of blood that the doctors couldn't help. We know that we are Bartimaeus sitting blind, sitting by the side of the road, begging. So we, we are in need. And I don't think it's simply an interesting coincidence. Okay, I, I want to argue it's, it's causation, not coincidence, that those before and after uh, advertisements hook us and that the Bible has stories of transformation. It, it's not just, oh, interesting. They both talk about transformation. The, that biblical description of humans in need deep down inside on a more superficial level is what makes us suckers for those transformation ads. It's like, yeah, I want to be a different person. I want to be a better person. You know, and it's often, it's often stuff like, how we look or, you know, stuff like that. But I think what drives it is this desire for transformation deep down inside. That is the human condition. I would argue, but better put, I think Paul would argue and the New Testament would argue. And so I'm I'm kind of setting this up to help us get in, uh, get the Apostle Paul's teaching in Romans 6 kind of into our heads. The passage that I read reflects Paul's theology of transformation. It's, it's one of the many times Paul deals with this, this subject. We find it throughout his writing. He's always talking about you know, old self, new self. Old ways, new ways. Before Christ, after Christ. And there's an autobiographical element too, right? You, if you know Paul's story. Very much a before and after. So we find this, uh, this transformational theology, if that's a word that works for you, or teaching, whatever, whatever you know, word you want to use there. Is, is really at the core of Paul's understanding of the gospel. So I want to come at our passage from, from two angles. I, I was tardy in um, getting my notes to the office. So this outline is not in your... I don't know if Brad usually has actual outline, does he? Oh, rats. I was hoping if he just left it blank, then you wouldn't even notice other than me saying something. But... Uh, if you like outlines, I'll just trust it mentally. There are just two points. This can be the outline that uh, I use to, to get at our Romans 6 text. First, Paul's uh, transformational theology, his gospel, his teaching, is absolutely centered in Jesus Christ. Christ is the focus. What God has accomplished for us through Jesus' life and death and resurrection. So it's a it's transformation starts first with this God-centered, Christ-centered 
focus. And then second, life then, once, and I'll say more about this, but once we respond to that first act of God, our life then today, it means living into this new identity and this transformation that it, it, it is at least offered to us through Christ. It's, it's stepping into that and not going down a path that moves us away from that. So those are my, my kind of my two, you know, in bold, point one, point two. So back to the, the first point, Paul's transformational theology centered in Jesus Christ, what God has accomplished for us in Christ. And to get at that, Paul uses this language of baptism. You probably, you probably caught that. It's all through the passage. And it's Paul's way of kind of talking about uh, uh, death and resurrection, cross and empty tomb. In Paul's mind, baptism symbolizes the dying and especially in a church do you guys have a big tank somewhere you know especially churches that fully immerse is what it's called it's an awesome visual it's like you go down under the water and then you come up out of the water so Paul likes to to talk about this this uh, work of God in Christ in in this baptism language death to sin alive to God old self crucified with Christ new self raised with Christ identification and transformation through the power of Christ foundational the transformation that our souls long for is found in right there it's the nub of it right there identification with the death and resurrection of Christ. Three other scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul writes, for our sake, he made him, that would be Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the event happened 2,000 years ago But the power of the gospel is that can transform us today so that we might become. Uh, Galatians 2.20, again, Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. Identification. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If anybody here is like, you're looking for, I don't know, like a life verse or maybe a a 2019 verse to to just make your own and own and meditate on, Galatians 2.20 would be a great one. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a little earlier in the chapter from what I read before, Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, identification, he or she is what? New creation, transformation. The old has passed away, the new has come. He's talking about the same thing without all the, the baptism language. And I literally could go on and on with these texts. 
but I trust you, you're getting the point. The most significant, I'll, I'll put it this way, the most significant event in my life as a believer, that which shapes my identity and trans, transforms me, is an event that took place roughly 2,000 years ago. It's almost weird to think of it that way. But I earnestly believe that if we are Christians, if we're believers, if somebody said, hey, what's like the biggest deal thing in your, that's ever happened in your life? We would have to say, oddly, it happened about 2,000 years ago. Because I now identify with that event and find my identity and transformation and the power of God in that event experienced today. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Paul in our Romans passage tells us as Christ was crucified, we were crucified. As Christ was raised, we were raised. Romans 6, 5, we have been united with him. A uh, couple of thoughts. Now, these, this is two thoughts under point one, right? If you're keeping that mental outline, so this would be like a little sub, two, two points. This, first, this is grace. We are given this identity, this transformation. Uh, unlike, unlike with the, uh, the before and after photo advertising that always hooks me, you know, the key there then, it wants me to do something. In a real sense, the key to this transformation is realizing it's been done for me 2,000 years ago and offered to me as a gift, it's, it's simply received. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So it's, it's grace-based, it's gift, it's gift-based. It's not, it's not a workout plan uh, or a supplement or something we do. But the second, my second sub-point is it is a grace that must be re- received. It must be received. Not to get too far into the, the theological weeds here, uh, but some Christians, earnest Christians uh, believe in what I would call a, a Christian universalism, that the, the life, death, and resurrection was, of Christ was so awesome, it sort of changed everything for everybody, um, whether they realize it or not. I get really close to that because I like the, the bigness and the awesomeness contained in that thought. But I can't get away from the New Testament, consistent New Testament teaching that this awesome event that transformed the cosmos still must be received uh, 
by individuals. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there is the, that volitional or psychological step that must be taken to say what happened 2,000 years ago and what Tyler was talking about on Sunday, all that stuff, Paul, Brad talks, yeah, I, I want that in my life today. Hey, just on a personal note, um, I turned I turn 64 this month. I know I look much younger. Uh, <laughs> and I've always, being 64, I've always looked forward to 64. Anybody know why? Beatles. Yeah, if you're 64, the Beatles, when I'm 60, you know, we'll, we'll, I won't sing it. Tim can maybe use it as the closing. Uh, no. uh, hey, is there is there anyone here older than me? Can I see a show of hands? God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> I'm happy to be 64, but I'm tell or 63 and whatever. But I'm tired when they of forms online. You know when they ask for your birth date. Month, fine. Day, you know, num- day of the month, fine. Year, scroll, 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 scroll. It's like, God, are there that many people who can't be? Um, but, and I, I would, I don't literally want to hear from you, but I'd be curious about my cohort on this. I think as you get older, you reflect on life. Just reflect on things. When you're younger, you know, way young, you, you think about what is t- to come and what is to be. You're kind of future-oriented. I think as you get a little older, you start reflecting on the kind of the broad sweep of your existence, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> um, but I realized that... Uh, I would, it was when I was a junior in college, so I was 20, that I said yes to this message of Christ. Hadn't been raised in a church home. It was kind of anti-Christianity. But there was that hunger, you know, that God-shaped vacuum. And it was it, when I was about 20, um, I, I said yes, and I did not. I didn't know diddly about the Bible, or theology, or anything. And my prayer was like kind of hokey. I just thought, well, I need to get on my on my knees. I was in my bedroom, get on my knees, and it was like, uh, you know, dear God, <laughs> if you're there, that was like the level of prayer. That stuff that my friends tell me Jesus did for me, I, I, I want that. I say, I say yes to that. And very much, very much imperfectly, imperfectly, my, my life has never been the same since. I mean, this identification with Christ and this transformation 
potentially comes through that is awesome. It gives us hope. It gives perspective. It gives us so many gifts. So I, I just put that out there, um, put, put that out there today. Um, I don't really know you all that well. Um, and I, I don't know if churches even have like altar calls anymore. I, I don't know. But from the bottom of my heart, I say, if you're sitting here and, and you've not, of course it will be imperfectly. And in, of course there will still be questions you have. But I, I just exhort you in your own words, in your own way, to receive that grace that has been extended to you by the God who created you and who sent his son to live, to die, and to rise again. So Brad, if you're listening, that's my version of a a sort of an altar call, just FYI. Second big point, and I'll I'll be more brief, Tim, with this. Yeah, Um, Tim's back there going like this. Um, Paul writes, uh, second point then, life means living into this new identity, living into this new identity that we've identified with and the transformation potential there. Paul writes in Romans six twelve through 14, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. It's those who have been brought from death to life and your members, that just means all of yourself, to God as instruments for righteousness. So we receive our new identity and transformation through faith in Christ. Done deal. It's secure because of who God is. Now we're a child of God and life then is that task of living into that identity, of living into that reality. Easy, right? No. (laughs) Wrong answer. Challenging. Challenging. If you read Paul's letters, what's he do? He devotes vast amounts of ink to calling folks to get back on track, to... to go hard after the goal, to stop doing something and start doing the right thing. It's all through his, his letters. If it was easy, we wouldn't have Paul's letters almost. It's like he's trying to exhort people. Um, and then here's the really cool part. Who do, who's preaching next week? Oh, okay. I know Megan well inform her that I've stolen some of her thunder from Romans 7 next week's scripture I'm guessing which I is one of my favorite chapters because in Romans 7 Paul shares his own struggle of living into this identity and transforming power of Christ have you read Romans 7 recently go go and read it it's amazing this is the apostle Paul and he says things like, I, I, I see in myself that I do 
what I don't want to do. And what I want to do, I don't do. And it's like, can any of us identify with that? It's like, that's us, right? That's at least, I'll personalize it. That's me. You know, I, I want to live into my identity in Christ, but I so often fail at, at doing it. Now, it's all grace. It's all based on the character and promise of God, but there's, there's certainly a challenge element there to it. Um, and so I'll offer a final scripture. Here's, here's what I think our life is. Philippians 3, Paul, again, writing. Not that I've already obtained this, you know, these great promises of the gospel. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Boy, there's grace-based teaching right there. I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Living into Pressing on, that's our calling now. If we've received uh, the good news, if we've said yes to the gospel, our life work then is living into that reality, is pressing on to that goal. Um, I'm going to just wrap us up here. Um, I started by talking about the advertising, you know, the before and after after stuff, and I'm a total sucker for it. And I think on some level it's okay. Uh, I'll never be an Olympic pole vaulter, but maybe it's good to pretend and strive for that, you know? Six, I don't know, are there like senior Olympics or something? I, I'd, I'd be too scared to go w- way up. <laughs> uh, but, but I don't want to ever forget and I encourage you to never forget um, the most profound before and after photo is what we see in the, in the face of Jesus Christ it's that transformation that our, our hearts that our hearts long for. By grace, as gift, we can step into this new identity, child of God, for now and for eternity. Okay, let's, uh, let's pray together. Again, Lord, we th- thank you for the scripture. We thank you that through your Holy Spirit, you speak to us through it. I pray that uh, your spirit would continue to apply this teaching of Paul uh, to each of us in 
the particular way that we need to hear it today. In Jesus' name we pray.